There we are. On the Starbucks mezzanine. Yes. At the Javits Center at the AES convention. 135. <laughs> 135. That must be doing more than one a year, man, because that's... What was going on 135 years ago in the audio world? Anyway, I look over and who do I see but Bob Clearmountain. Oh my God, it's Bob Clearmountain. The Bob Clearmountain. So we go course, say hi? Look, I, sure. I, yeah, I was like, I got to go say hi. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Let's go say hi. So we went over there and said hi. That guy is so nice. What a cool guy. So then he introduced us to his friend Harvey Goldberg. Harvey Goldberg and him apparently used to roommate together when they were young lads learning how to uh, become engineers. And Harvey is now the uh, audio supervisor for The David Letterman Show. Harvey turns to us and says, without missing a beat, the most creative thing I've done in the music industry is to survive. Welcome to Input Output. I'm Eli Janney. And I'm Jeff Sanoff. And today we're going to talk about our trip to the AES 135th show. 135 shows? What the heck were they doing back in 1878 in the audio industry? <laughs> they had the different sized cones coming out of the Victrola. It was 1878. Reconstruction was all there is. Carpet baggers <laughs> were taking over the South, and the whip and buggy had just been thought of. We need to have a conference to talk about audio. It was a conference of megaphones. <laughs> This is the latest in eardrum technology. You put it in your ear and you hit the drum. Anyway, this is just going to be a, a fairly quick overview of what we saw and what we liked. It's totally biased and it's 100% our opinion. So sorry if we missed your favorite thing out there, but that's the way it is. We only have four feet between the two of us so that we can only go so far. In fact, we didn't actually even hang out that much. We got there. We suddenly split up and then we spent the rest of the time texting each other. What was the first thing that caught your eye what, when we were walking through there? What did you like? As far as gear goes, I guess the first thing that caught my eye was maybe that Wolfbox. Ah, from Acme Audio. Yeah. This is the DI that um, uh, Al Sutton and his boys came up with. That Acme Audio. It was a really cool thing. This is Wolfbox The Wolfbox 3. In case you don't know what the Wolfbox is, it's a direct input. So you just plug your guitar into it, and then you plug the output of that into your mic preamplifier. The idea is he's got 40 transformers left over from when they were making these boxes for a little recording studio called Motown, Hitsville, USA. <laughs> yeah. So these have been sitting around for a while. And in the theme of old is new again, Al had the idea of, wait a minute, put these in a box and sell them. And they've tried other Transformers, but the ones from the 60s are the ones that actually have that magic sound. This is not something that you're going to get if you want like the super clean, pristine sound. This is like if you love that Detroit sound, and who doesn't? This is something that's going to give you a nice colored sound. We talked to Al Sutton from Acme Audio on the AES floor about how this product came about. What's the name of the uh, designer again? Ed Wolfram. Ed Wolfram. You can look him up. You know, the Detroit News credits him as being the inventor of the DI. Their research traced the actual invention of the DI back to this guy in 1959. Really? He was like, I think he was like first year college or maybe like senior in high school. And the ironic thing was, the reason why he came up with the concept because he was trying to get cleaner sound instead of having like a microphone in front of a speaker, creating, you know, introducing all this distortion and stuff. Just plug the instrument straight in and get the cleanest, purest sound. So even back then, they were shooting for that, like, 
we could take this noisy amp out of the equation and just get better sound right. through this old transformer that now that you know roll the clock ahead 40 years and it's like oh man that's old and we don't want that color we can make it so clean and perfect now and nobody wants that I just wanted to say one other thing about that. One of the themes I would say of things that were on display was the theme of equipment that makes digital sound more like analog. Yeah, yeah. I think that that was kind of an overlying... That was one theme, Overriding right? theme. It was either stuff that it's new designs for a new era or reinventing the wheel yeah. in a cool way. But everything was about having flavor. The only thing that I saw, which was a very interesting product... Uh, was from Ronin Applied Sciences. Ronin Applied Sciences have got a two version of this mic, and then he's got a, a solid state version of this mic, and they both have their own power supplies. The idea being that 48 volts, as currently implemented by preamp designers, is kind of a crapshoot. And mm -hmm. why would yeah. you want to have um, <laughs> well, a crapshoot as part of your it, it, signal it, chain? It actually it, makes perfect it sense. It does make sense because you're taking a very important part of your. However, his microphone looks like a wiffle ball. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It does kind of. It's got like giant holes in it, which is probably but you know, really. No, I, I spoke to him about this specifically. I'm sure it's and a he combination. Said he did a lot of testing, and that this was the most transparent one while keeping it in the integrity of the structure was strong enough. Until you blow on it. <laughs> Everybody has a pop screen anyway, you know. No, I know. I'm just making fun because. I like his, the Archangel. That was the. That was the microphone pre. The mic preamp, which was a passive design. He builds these things in these beautiful boxes that are completely impractical. And you can't put them in a rack. So they basically sit. They look, if you want to know what they, they look, look like, think about the Apple Cube. That's yeah, what his, that's his aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. It his, was really cool. I actually went to a demo of it and it was pretty amazing sounding. And I think he's asking 1300 for it. It's a very reasonable price. Yeah. For something that's really, really cool. If really, you want to know really more cool. about the science of that piece of gear, we went over and talked to Dimitri. So he likes to talk about the science <laughs> of it. You'll get as much as you would like <laughs> about this particular approach. Well, the Archangel, as far as I know, is the world's first passive game preamp. Now, I understand that that might seem immediately like an oxymoron or somewhat contradictory, but essentially all of the gain is achieved via transformers. So essentially you have an input transformer that gives us about 10 dB of gain, tube buffer, an interstage transformer that gets us about 20, 23 dB of gain, and phase split, another tube buffer, directly into the output autoformer. What's occurring with an autoformer is essentially, imagine a transformer with only a single winding, and that single winding has multiple taps. So what's going to happen is, as you turn it down, you're essentially switching through the taps. So it's like a fader. Kind of like a fader. With the exception of it not having tolerance drift over time due to it being a resistor or a pot. But more importantly is that because it's directly on the output, there's not an active stage after it, which means that I don't ruin my signal to noise as I turn it down. If you think about it like a regular pre, the attenuator is placed between the gain stage and the output stage. And the output stage is active. So you're turning down the signal as it goes into an active stage. So you're degrading signal to noise. And you're also changing the way the stages drive each other, which is why most preamps seem to have a sweet spot. So since it's a, an autoformer, the more I turn down the volume, I'm also lowering my output impedance. Pre sounds exactly the same no matter where you set it, and you can mate it to almost any piece of gear because of this constantly lowering output impedance. I would say one thing about him is 
he definitely stakes some bold aesthetic claims as far as the visual quality of his equipment and also the design intent. Yeah, you got to respect that because he's not rebuilding anything. He's not throwing back to some earlier era. He's like, I am forging a new path for audio. And that whether or not you believe him, at least that's I, his intent. And I kind of respect him for that. On a more toned down but equally ambitious angle was the Shiny Box guys. Uh, John, yeah. I talked to John from Shiny Box for a bit. And he's got some really cool ribbon microphones, three different transformers on the outputs. And the prices are just really reasonable. I think maybe 450 for the ribbon mic that he was showing. And then he's got a four-channel mic pre that was... 1800 bucks, you know, those prices for what you're getting, I seems really good. And his thing again, like Dimitri from Ronan Applied Sciences is to take his engineering ideas and do something creative with engineering design and not just reinvent uh, the same old designs from yesteryear, but at a lower price point. There's a lot of people out there making Neve clones and God love them. Everybody needs one of those or yeah. six of them. But uh, no, these guys good. are making their own thing. And I, I think that that's a really cool and ambitious yeah. Thing, so you know the the other thing that I saw along those lines was the Electronaut M ninety seven. Well, now we're getting into some cash. Yeah, cash this is not dash. on the other side of the spectrum from Shiny Box, which is a value driven proposition. Uh, well, and also Ronan is as ambitious as uh, Ronan Applied Sciences designs are, and uh -huh. as, as aesthetically unique as they are. Their price points, I think, for what they're offering, both Shiny Box and Ronan Applied Sciences, seem to me quite reasonable. Yeah, totally. I was kind of surprised when he said the price. I was like, oh. So we're not that, saying that the Electronaut prices are unreasonable, because no, I think for what you get... These are more what you would expect but today. But they ain't cheap. This is a vacuum tube variable mu compression amplifier, and this thing actually wasn't finished at the show he he had got behind schedule as these small small companies do but he did some really interesting thing the most interesting thing about this was he licensed the doros metering technology but created a new meter which is circular which was crazy looking but basically it starts at 12 o'clock and then it goes down around both directions. But then so at six o'clock is full scale full audio. Scale, but you know, but you shouldn't could, it be like party at midnight, not party at six? <laughs> I don't know. But basically, you could switch modes so that it would show input level, gain reduction, or you could. It it had a bunch of different modes on it, all of which could be seen. And then he took it a step further, and he was like, "Okay, but wait, how much further can he take? I a, don't a circular know. Duros meter, Holy man. Holy moly." Um, let's see, he's got input level, post-attenuator input level, output level, gain reduction, and more. So in other words, he's given you many ways to get a clean and dirty sound. Right. And this is, to meter that clean or gnarly. Yeah, gnarly sound, bro. Here's where it gets a little more crazy. Variable mu compressors are push-pull amplifiers that require careful calibration to achieve balance and minimize distortion. I'm reading, obviously. And basically, <laughs> basically, you need to you need to you need to hire him to the, come out to your house no, to calibrate. The but thing, that's or the what? whole thing. Okay, so normally you have to run a tone, and there's you got to measure the imbalance on the VU meter, and then the other side is thrown Man, out I'm of balance and use go a back and in. forth. Stop. And so he's built a measurement device into the device itself, which has a little low distortion sine wave generator. Basically, you can actually set it up from within the machine itself without having to use any outboard anything. Wait, Jeez. so it has a tone generator inside of inside it? Inside of it. And then it has... And then it has the metering... Okay. 
I get so it. So basically, it's, it's all it's a self-correcting the, yeah. thing, and that's you that can is, calibrate it yourself just using the internal components. And, but it was a really nice. And so it's basically kind of a Fairchild-ish type of design. At least that's what I think of when yeah, I think of yeah, variable new. I mean, I think you know, Manly makes one too. Of course, I didn't hear it. Not that I hearing it in that hall would have helped at all. That's the crazy thing about being at AES. Like, Here, listen, I will to, say listen to these speakers. Like, uh, uh, the, I, it sounds like I, people talking I around I put me. on headphones and I spoke with my awesome radio voice <laughs> into three of those <laughs> shiny box yes. mics. And the difference was very easy to tell. You could tell. Very mm. clearly, yes. And you, of know course, that, you know what that entire hall needed? A giant Chaotica mic foam. Oh, is that the thing that's like... <laughs> we walked by this this very enthusiastic booth. Where they were showing off. Was it the kind of booth where they have like supermodels no. because they realized that like no, they didn't have a, any booth in a room babes, full of so. nerds. They have to have some ladies selling some you products. No, they didn't have booth babes. They were just very enthusiastic. So why did you stop? Because because I, mean, a pop I was filter. looking on, at dude. it. No, it's not just a pop filter. So you know these things it's that you put behind. Only. You put behind your microphone where yes, you, when you're in a crappy room like this one, and it kind of deadens down the sound. This was you basically. It's a giant foam ball. That goes over the entire microphone with a cutout so that the vocal sound can enter into the mic, mm. but none of the reflections from around the room can enter into the mic because they're deadened by this ball. It sounds foam. like a microphone condom. Kind of like a foamy microphone condom. But, okay, so I'm looking at that going, wow, that's actually kind of cool. What a cool little device. And it also comes with a pop filter that fits over that opening exactly. And I listened to, they had a demo going on of a, like standing in some crazy stone hallway, which is terrible acoustics. And it worked pretty well. And it's like, wow, that's really cool. How much are these going for? And he goes, well, they're normally $200. Oh. <laughs> but it's on sale for the, I was like, $200 for, for a piece, a piece of, foam of foam with a piece of screen in front of it. I can I make mean, that with my, in my dad's laboratory. I l- applaud the idea. And actually, if it was 100 bucks, I would probably buy one, but 200 bucks, then you're directly competing with all the little half dome ones that are already out there that I feel like look a little more professional. I think that guy is going to have a really rude realization when Guitar Center is like, wow, let's. That's how, great. How exactly. Can we cop that how design. You, how and hard sell it for would that be? Yeah. Behringer's version is going to be 50 bucks. You know, I, I hate to beat on anyone, especially independent people like that, but he was like, yeah, it was four years in development. <laughs> you know, maybe it was because there may be some Four sort of years? secret foam that's on the back yes. of that thing that keeps it. That's the thing. I mean, I'm saying it that probably kind is. of kind of ridiculously, but there it, it, it probably, probably is. is. A lot it's more. probably some crazy foam they had to go through a bunch of different formulas in order to get it right. But oh, like, dude, four years for a piece of foam. Hey I man, I hope you were doing something else. How long did it take else? them to make Velcro? Huh? <laughs> so uh, on the topic of things that I just can't help but mock, <laughs> yes. even though I love my iPad. Oh, I, I now I know where you're I going. I love my control surface. <laughs> Why don't we put the two together and have a giant... <laughs> okay, what are we talking about? Tell them what we're talking uh, we're about. We're talking about the Slate Raven. The Raven! The you know, Raven. Okay, first of all, it won an award last year. Does it come with manicured eyebrows? Okay, but it won an award last year and it wasn't a shipping product. How can you win an award for a non-shipping product? That's bull. Because and the idea is so future forward. Bro. And I'm not going to beat up on Slate because I actually like their products. I use that trigger all the time. I do too. I have VCC. I, the, I have the I FGX. use the tape one. Yeah, I yeah, use all that. Their stuff is great. It's, I don't, I was, you know what? A giant touch screen. I was so skeptical of that thing and I saw it but, and I was like, okay, 
This looks like it's actually kind of fun. Okay, so what it is, it's a giant touchscreen. There's two versions of it. There's one that's, I forget, it's like 50 inches. I mean, it's like a really large TV. Yeah. And then the other one's like a 21 inch. Yeah. The big one, the giant one, the real full-size one comes in a desk with a full monitor system. Yeah. So it's not just the touchscreen. Right. There's also a full monitoring section like your And that's your in the ballpark of $10,000. I thought Pretty, it was more than that. It might be. It might be. And then the smaller ones were like 2500 2500 bucks. And I, 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 and I asked um, Alex Sawana from Slate, I was like, so what do you think the ratio is going to be? Like 100 to 1, 1,000 to 1? <laughs> I was like, how many of those big boys are you going to sell? I don't know. They're... He said 1 million. <laughs> he didn't answer me. He's, he was very diplomatic about it. Well, we're just, we're just going to see. Well, I have to say, initially, I was just skeptical because I'm not sure that I want to mix on an iPad or on a touchscreen. Right. And I was curious to see how well they had it integrated, at least into the Pro Tools environment, which seems what they've really optimized it for at this point. And it seems to me like, for the most part, it's pretty well designed in that respect. My biggest concern, which they seem to have addressed, at least at the moment, is just for future proof. I mean, if you're spending... $2,500 or fifteen grand, and all of a sudden Apple OS changes in some significant way, then all of a sudden are you going to have a large piece right. of useless right. technology? Yeah. Because that seems like a danger, and they seem pretty confident that that's not the case. I thought their solution was pretty cool, whereas they really were approaching it more like your fingers are a multi-touch mouse. This Surface is actually acting much more like a mouse and much less like a Huey protocol which is what Paul Nyring's thing does. Yeah. It's a little of both, but it, it that insulates them significantly from... From, from, from DAW upgrade changes. Yes, from Pro Tools, from Avid's so, upgrades. Assuming that they have that part of it reasonably worked out, and you can never assume that. Now, I really like the idea of being able to do some of the things that he was showing us, whether it's yeah. multi-touch faders. Yeah, we sat down and Stephen showed it to us, and I have to say I was kind of impressed. And I mean, you I mean, he's a consummate showman that guy <laughs> it actually worked super fluid and quickly and it actually i was like well I knew all right my skepticism is so then the second conceptual issue i have with it and i think you couldn't i couldn't answer this unless i had one and spent significant amount of time with it is that i think on the level of how does the human brain work eli <laughs> there are studies that show that visual information changes right. how you hear things exactly I mean, sort of talked this, uh -huh. about this amongst ourselves many times and how I think there's a Massey plugin that's called Listen. Yeah. That is just literally, uh, you, you click on it and it gives your, it makes your screen blue so there's nothing to look at. Having that focus go from your eyes to your ears is really changes how you perceive when you're mixing. And I, and I, and I guess my issue with just as a concept, that touch surface, because it does seem like in so many ways that that is a very good use of new technology. Right. But you haven't changed the way the human brain works and having a giant light box in front of your face, even yeah. if it's just plasma meters and faders moving up, I don't care. Like at some level, your brain is still interacting with a substantial yeah. amount of visual information. I, I think that's true. And, and, and I agree with you that having that giant one in front of you would be a distraction to me. I want to go away from that. However, the smaller one might I will not say, be. I, I will say the smaller one might not be. And I'm, I'm always looking at a screen anyway. But I actually we're got, not gonna, I've gotten in the habit of turning know, mine off and I using know, my I know, little yeah, control yeah. surface. Oh, you okay, know. Okay. Yeah. I think the reality is that the vast majority of people, when they're working on their stuff, when they're working on their Pro Tools or Logic or whatever, they are looking at a screen. This whole generation of engineers that are working now 
grew up using that system. So to have a big screen in front of them is perhaps not a detriment because they grew up dealing with it all the time. And, and yet still, you know, I don't think a 20-year-old who's growing up now is going to be able to text and drive safely. <laughs> I, you know what I'm saying? Like, you you know, human evolution That's is true. only evolved. You couldn't use a raven so- and drive at the same yeah. time. <laughs> I guess one of my other concerns about the gigantor raven is the sound reflection. I mean, you're talking about putting a 46-inch flat panel facing up at an angle. It's going to cause some kind of like your mids and highs are going to be directly reflected back. Unlike your, your desk? Or is your it's desk is an uneven surface? So Yeah, and it's curved. Oh no, man! Oh no, dude! I'm just saying. My question is, like when I when I when I spill my beer on that thing, <laughs> does it ooze off or does it like short out the components? <laughs> well, you, that's why you have insurance. <laughs> and I'm not a if hammer. you're an owner. If you own it, you get insurance. Okay, enough of the mid Atlantic jokes. So that was an interesting one. Let's let's move on. What else did we see? How about this one? Would you like to have a small API board with four inputs, four 512 mic pre's, a couple of 550Bs, and then say 16 channels of line inputs that went out to a API bus that had two channels of compression? I would, maybe. <laughs> How much would you pay $18,000, say, for such a box? I don't know that I would. <laughs> that seems a lot. <laughs> I was kind of adding that numbers up in my head, and I was like, that's a hard sell. I mean... I'll tell you what my hard sell with the API stuff is that API mic pre's are great. That 2500 compressor is great. I like those EQs a lot. Yeah. I don't like Absolutely. short fader tapers. And oh, yeah, that's, that's a right. bummer. And yeah. I also think that for the summing thing, mm-hmm. which is part of what I think they view that as being a product to, because it only has 16... Faders. It doesn't have, you know, 32 right. or something. But isn't it, doesn't it have, oh yeah, you can use those four inputs. So it actually has 20. So it has 20. Yeah. And it doesn't have buses, right? So so it has one stereo and two mono auxes and the master has an insert on it. You know, I love, love API stuff. I really do. And I, their 3124 is one of my favorite pieces of gear, which is four 312 mic pre's in a box. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, oh, it, it looks beautiful, but... A, 16 inputs. Well, I guess that's 20 inputs. It's okay. It's not that great. I mean, I've now got 32 outputs coming out of my D to A converters. And when you're mixing in this day and age, you need to be able to recall lightning fast and move from project to project and song to song very, very quickly. So the more knobs and faders you have on your analog gear, the slower you're going to go and the less accurate your replication of it is. So the faders to me almost don't matter because I probably just put them all the way up and then just leave it. Or tape them in place or something. Yeah, yeah but at which some, point it's like, know. well, then why bother having them? I'll yeah. save myself some money. I'll go buy yeah. a 2500 compressor, a couple EQs, and some mic pre's and not need anything nearly that complicated. It also right. has a full master section. I mean, it's it all... It does have a full master section. And, and I think when I was there, I did play around with it for a second, and I'm like, what happens when you drive this master bus really hard? And it actually sounded pretty awesome. So... Not you know all. what though it's but then there's the tree audio console which is eight channels it's all tube except for not all tube there's a solid state part of it but he makes an eight channel box for was it twenty two thousand dollars twenty three and then he 22. makes a 16 channel one for forty eight thousand but i gotta say that thing it looked great it weighed a ton and um <laughs> 
That's an example of one of those things that was old school looking. Yeah, it had very, the very light simple. Knobs. You're not even mentioning the most amazing part about that board is the compressor on every freaking channel. Yeah, he's got he's got real basic EQ and then a real basic compressor. Oh, on each amazing. Channel. It sounded pretty awesome. I mean, that's the thing is like that had so much character. You know, you're obviously locking yourself into whatever that. It tone seemed to me being. though that he had spent a fair amount of time trying to get it to 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 be kind of clean and 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 friendly, that you could really get either lots of character or keep it pretty pretty just pristine and and nice sounding. And that price point, it seemed competitive with similar products. And because it's got these big knobs, and doesn't have faders, I don't know. It just looked like the kind of thing that addresses some of my issues with the API. Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I worry that the API would not have enough uh, character. If you're going to spend $18,000, first of all, you're well above the price of any full-size MCI, Neotech, anything like that. Any you, sort of vintage mid-range. You can buy all yeah. those <laughs> for well under Yeah, but then it's grand. another 10 to repair them. Yeah, and you have to have it air-conditioned and all that jazz, and you got to have space. That thing's not smaller. But, you know, it seems like there's a lot of people coming out or talking about coming out with a console. I talked to some people who I can't name who who have some plans in, in this area, which I think are going to be very interesting. Oh, see. what's the Sound Radix thing? Oh, Sound Radix. These guys have taken a very interesting approach to designing plugins. I don't think this stuff is brand new, but their stuff is not that well known. So it's worth a mention. Probably the coolest thing that I thought they had was called the Surfer EQ, which is a EQ that also does pitch measurement. So it'll follow your incoming pitch and then adjust your EQ setting to changes in pitch. And you can do it harmonically up the spectrum. So you that can have it. so cool. So you, know, so you want it bright. And then when they go to a high note, that's it. Yeah. Or if you're trying to little, scoop out like some little... weird wolf tone on the bass, uh -huh. it'll, it'll move it around so that if it, you know, they go from a, a G to an E, it will come down a little bit. And you can set how many harmonic intervals, like you can go, you know, 17 up the entire spectrum, or you can just have it do one or two. And it doesn't appear to, you know, you think, oh, does it sound like a wah-wah pedal as it's doing that? And it doesn't. It does not sound. It doesn't the more sound like a wah-wah pedal? No. Oh, on no some I, of the more, I don't want it. Then. then you don't want it. No, of course not. <laughs> on some of the more extreme settings, you could hear artifacts. But for the most part, it was remarkably artifact-free. And I just like the idea because it's something that couldn't be done in the analog world and hasn't been done digitally, as far as I know, until these guys came up with it. So what a cool idea. And then they have this Pi Phase plug-in, which I'm not exactly sure how it works, but the basic idea is you put it on your mix bus and it checks out incoming signal for anomalistic phase interactions. In other words, you might have a kick drum and then a sample kick drum and then a bass guitar and they're not sonically related. They weren't recorded at the same time. They don't come from the same source, but there are phase relationships between them and they can step on each other. And so this plugin somehow analyzes that and tries to adjust for it. I'm not sure how it does it, wow. but it's a cool idea. That is an interesting idea. Again, huh. something you couldn't do in the analog world. And I and I think it's nice to see people using digital technology to make things right. that are right. uniquely digital, not yeah. just trying to recreate the things that we miss about analog. That's really cool. I should try. I, I like this. They're auto -align. And then the auto-align. So the basic idea of that is you put it on, say, your snare drum and your overheads, and then it'll figure out what the phase value is and that it will it'll adjust it. But what I found in using similar programs, sometimes it makes the change and it is correct and more in phase. But, you know, with drums, 
a lot of times right. it's not a static relationship, yeah, right? Yeah. Like if you change and make everything in phase correct for the snare drum, something else might suffer. Maybe the yeah. rack or floor tom yeah, that's will true. suffer. So sometimes you got to use your ears, Jeff. Have you tried turning off your monitor and just listening? Um, <laughs> all right. So what do we find? We found a bunch of new is old type things. In other words, the tree audio, the API, the wolf box, things that are using old technologies. And then we found some new, new stuff, the uh, Ronin Applied Sciences and the Shiny Box mics. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like the AES convention, the 135th AES convention, had any other thematic? I still, I still like the idea of the megaphone shootout. <laughs> 1878. This one here is the largest throw. Who can scare those crows away over there? <laughs> I don't know why they have English accents. Quick, get out your slide rule. We shall measure its frequencies. <laughs> but I digress. What were you saying? To come back to uh, Harvey Goldberg's uh, <laughs> initial statement about the most creative thing he's done in the music industry is survive. Yes. There was definitely an element of that yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. I felt like talking to a bunch of my old friends and colleagues. That, that was something that everybody's feeling is in this economic climate, in the music business having contracted as it has... Everyone's feeling lucky to still be in the game yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, very, very lucky. A lot of people were very appreciative, and it was a little bit of a celebration that, hey, we're still here, you know, despite uh, seemingly the world's efforts to get rid of recording entirely. Hey, we forgot to mention that we went to see an awesome panel that our producer, Justin Coletti, hosted. Synergistically, Synergistically. Justin Coletti hosted a panel called the Platinum Producers Panel. Yes. Starring Chris Cody, Pat Dillett. Manny American. Man and Tom Elmhurst. Yes. And it was highly entertaining and very, very funny. Just hearing Patrick talk about surviving in the business made me laugh out loud. And well, you know, it was so quiet. It was so quiet. It was like we were laughing and I felt like I was in a library. People were like, why is that guy laughing? He just said something funny. What are you guys doing? But people actually, wanted to know how did he, to know. how did Tom Elmhurst mix Rowan in the Deep? Yeah, it was it was uh, it was pretty funny. And, and um, it was a much, much bigger turnout than I thought it was going to be. I mean, there was like 700 people in this room jammed all the aisles and wall space was all taken up it was pretty crazy anyway it was great did you learn anything <laughs> no learn i mean yes what yes i'm what am i saying no i learned that these guys make records just like me only more successful jeff before we go we got to answer one piece of email we got from a listener named nathan who asks do you have any blog posts about the recording setup you use to record the podcast? <laughs> the short answer is no, because it's too embarrassing what we use. <laughs> no, actually, our setup is pretty simple, Nathan. We got a couple of these blue Encore microphones. Yes, a couple of blue Encore microphones. And uh, going into a UA Apollo. And on our Apollo, we have some 1176 blue stripes. Yeah. And the Neve and 1073. The and that's Some it, of man. the shows, if the shows are done in a studio, then we use, you know, whatever they have in the studio. But when right. we're doing it in our studio, then that's what we're using. And we also use Audio Hijack to record our Skype, too. And that's it, Nathan. Thanks for the question. And then a lot of Isotope RX to clean stuff <laughs> to up. To clean our mess up. And that's that's Justin's job. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Anyway, Nathan, thanks for your comment. Thanks for your question. And I hope you keep listening. Well, I think that's good. That's all we got for our AES 135th AES show. 
thank you to Justin Coletti, our producer, and especially big thanks to Sonic Scoop. And for- Janice Brown and Dave Weiss. Thank you for hosting our fine, fine program of um, frivolity. Uh, but please, everybody, write us in. Let's let's hear what you got to say. And if you have any other questions, let us know. We want to hear from you. Coming to you direct from the first annual AES conference, we are broadcasting to you live via megaphone. You can email us at inputoutputpodcast at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Facebook Input Output Podcast. Don't forget to check our Twitter feed, Input Output Podcast, or IO Podcast. Well, step right up, ladies and gentlemen, and it's time to test your megaphones. Do I go over here and come over to a live of the Fuzzle, maker of the greatest megaphones in all?